May the gods forgive me. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome back to the show. <laughs> Cersei One. Did you know that Cersei One is the fifty-fourth chapter in *The Dance with Dragons*? You know, I looked that up and found that out. What about that? When I was doing my research. What about that? It's also the first. Well, that's the stupidest thing I could ever say. <laughs> the first Cersei <laughs> chapter in *A Dance of Dragons*. Okay. Duh. Yeah. <laughs> um. Are you a table of contents okay. kind of person? What do you mean? When you get a new book, do you go through the table of contents and look at it? No, because I feel like that's spoilers. So, well, so everybody listening has done this, even if you say that you've never done it. Flip forward to look at characters to make sure they have okay, yeah, POV chapters later da- later down the road. <sighs> that's that's a interesting like function. when Tyrion, you know, when like Tyrion almost dies with like the st- <laughs> oh yeah, time, yeah. With, like the Stone Men, yeah. Um, who among us didn't like flip to make sure he had another POV? Mm-hmm. You know, I think table contents is kind of sp- spoilery almost. Like I'd rather just go on through. Okay. Do you read it first before you get into the book? Of, uh, I feel like it depends on how the the table of contents are laid out. Right. Not all the books that I read have table of contents. Mm-hmm. Well, in a song of ice and fire table of contents is not helpful that, <laughs> at all. That's what I was going to ask about because <laughs> it's just chapter right, numbers. Yeah, POV numbers. <laughs> yeah, it's just like but the it, only thing that's helpful is to see who who's there. Really, mm-hmm. I would say well, it does reveal who's alive and who's dead mm-hmm. in in some way. So there's a little bit of, I guess, if you thought maybe Cersei was going to die in a Dance of Dragons, <laughs> you would see that she has one chapter, right? Fifty four chapters down the line, you know that she was still alive. But I don't know. It seems unlikely that. It just doesn't feel like major characters are going to go. You know, one time when I was just starting the podcast, one of my friends that I met in a chat room when I was a little kid, we were talking about A Song of Ice and Fire, and he told me that there was a chapter where I think maybe I'm conf- I was confused at the time or maybe I'm confused about it now, but this is how it is in my memory. Mm-hmm. And if this isn't a thing, well, I know it's not a thing, but... This should be a thing. Okay. Basically, this is how he set it up. He was trying to tell me how cool George R. R. Martin was. Okay. Like, ahead of time. You're pre-Song of Ice and Fire days. This is before I started the podcast. Okay. And he was telling me how cool of an author he was and how much I would like the books. And he was telling me that there was a pirate character okay. that that was introduced later that had a, a just one chapter. And he was introduced and he died at the end of it. Now, that, now that doesn't happen. Right. But, oh, my God, could you imagine <laughs> if that did happen? I mean, that would be pretty wild. Be Why pretty did he cool. tell you that? I, maybe he was confused. I yeah. need to ask him. I've never followed up about that. Or maybe I'm confused about the conversation. Either way, that's a, I thought that was a tidbit. That would mm-hmm. be, that'd be such a cool thing to do. Yeah, it would be a, song a cool of thing to fire. do. You know what I mean? I feel like, oh, no, you know what? We do. Maybe he was talking about Vermeer. Oh, that makes sense. That's such a that's such an interesting like when you're telling somebody about a song of ice and fire to me that's like an interesting tidbit that you would yeah. necessarily he, pass on. He knew about me in some way. He's like, it. you're gonna like this. <laughs> I guess that's true. So, so you don't look forward, but if you're reading a Dance of Dragons for the first time and you're someone who doesn't look forward in the table of contents, also, you're 53 chapters into reading the book and you turn the page. Poof, Cersei, won. we finally get a Cersei chapter. It's been a minute. The last time we were with her, it was really creepy. Mm-hmm. She was in that drab room, and we didn't know that it was going to go like this. Like, we didn't know that everything was going to start crashing down around her and that she'd eventually get pulled into this hole. Right. But she's there now. Right. And I feel like this chapter, we're really getting set up for the next chapter, which mm-hmm. is, like, one of the greatest chapters in A Song of Ice and Fire. The next Cersei chapter, because we finally get to her 
Walk of Atonement. We were talking about maybe having Lena Headey on for that episode. Yeah, we were just going to, like, text her maybe and just see if that was available. She might join the podcast for that. But, and so, I feel like when we're reading this chapter in the context of, whoa, this, I keep saying stupid stuff. We're reading this <laughs> chapter in the context of what happened before and what's to come next. How interesting is that? As you're kind of talking about, as things are kind of crashing around her, and as I think about what's about to happen to her... Cersei is such an interesting character to read because she is the most unreliable narrator, I feel like, of anybody in A Song of Ice and Fire. And so, so often what she perceives as happening, and we see that a couple of times in this chapter, is absolutely not what's happening at all. So I think that she, with her whole desire to finally confess and all of this is, is leading up to her just being able to get the heck out of here. Let me just like atone in however way they want me to and mm-hmm. we'll just move on with our lives and I'll just go home, you know, doesn't kind of backfires on her. But reading this chapter with our broader knowledge of what's actually happening in the story and then also understanding that Cersei is just very deeply usually in her head and not really in tune with reality. I feel like we're almost getting two different stories here mm-hmm. at the same time. Um just because there's just such a wild difference between what's actually happening versus her perception. Do in my you mind. think that she believes her own BS? If there's any part of it that she believes, a thousand percent, really, a thousand percent. And there's, you know, she's talking about how she's the the true heir, or she's the heir of Tywin Lannister, and of the she's Cersei Lannister of the Rock, and she is thinking about. Jamie, who's absolutely coming on his way and everything's going to be just fine. Nobody knows about anything. Mm-hmm. I'm going to just kind of BS my way through this um, confession and just give a, a little bit, but not every. obviously not everything. You got to be careful in this situation. You're the ex-queen, ex-queen regent. Your son is the king. You're in a state where, if you guys remember the buildup of Feast for Crows, the sparrows have been gathering all of this power, not only influence, not only uh, people that are underrepresented in, in, in droves, but also this physical power that's scary mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that will hurt because they'll stab you. They'll right. kill you. Right. You know, what And they have no, like, true alliance to anything, just to, like, literally their god. There's just a lot of people there. Yeah, there's a lot of people. Well, there's just a lot of – there's chaos. I mean – and, and Cersei's not really getting a lot of information. She's getting snippets from the different septas who are kind of talking around her near the end of the chapter. Because in, so in the beginning, I mean, she's really literally in the dark in every sense of the word. Yeah. And just losing herself over time. She's she's not sleeping. They're not allowing her to sleep. She's not eating. She's just become delirious as she. And, and and it's it's interesting because she's not often or she mentions at some point how uncomfortable she is, not just because of the literal torture that she's going through, but because she's not often in a situation where yeah. she's doesn't feel like she has control over everything. Yeah. And so what she does have control over is whether or not she wants to confess. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. praying and kind of playing into their game. So she's like. Praise and praise and praise and praise for like multiple days. Half believing, half not believing. You were talking about her being an unreliable narrator. And so I'm inside of her head. Okay. I don't know what she really believes. I'm still confused by that because you remember at the end of the chapter when she's talking about Tyrion being in Dorne, she's talking to Kevin. It's like, what is this? Yeah. You have been going through torture. They have been torturing you. Absolutely. The first proper paragraph, but 
technically the second paragraph. You know those like par- those paragraphs that are a sentence long. Yeah, and they're still a paragraph. Yeah, those are weird. Yeah, those are not paragraphs, <laughs> but they are. So it's the first paragraph, second paragraph in the chapter. George R. R. Martin pulls out this. It's if you look at it and you read it from top to bottom, every word that he chose is so perfectly chosen to be just a uh, dimin- diminishing hope. Yeah, it's a secret oh. message. There's a code in it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> there's a code in it. I'm talking to you, Dan. <laughs> uh, there's a uh, – people really do think there's a secret message. Anyway, we can talk about another – oh, yeah, for real. Oh, yeah, every page. Every page. Anyway, I need more information. Appar- you know what? Let's talk about it right now. <laughs> apparently, there's a secret – apparently, there's a secret message. Okay. Or no – uh. I don't know what I'm talking about. Okay. It's not a secret message, <laughs> but it's basically a secret message. What's the message about? It's the sort of like the DNA. Release like the, of winter? Yes. No, it's the code. It's like the code to everything. Okay. Uh, I'm hopeful for stuff like that, though. And if it wasn't done on purpose, maybe it's it just nature just popped it into existence. You maybe. Know. Anyway, this, this, this paragraph, George writes, it's just it's diminishing hope. She, he's talking about the window that's too small for her to fit out of, but big enough to let an increasingly crappy draft come in yeah. that adds to the torture of the situation. The coarseness of her clothes, the way that she's treated. And yeah, it ultimately leads up to her being in a, this is, this is Cersei's personal hell. Mm-hmm. These women that have aspects of women that she resists becoming. Yeah. And aspects of freedom that she doesn't – I mean, she she buys into the power system because she's in it. And these people buy into their own power system. Mm-hmm. But it's a different one. Yes. It's based on faith. And it's like – it's not based on strength or political savvy, but also it is. Right. So it's just like they get – there's like another layer of pretending. It's a bigger layer of pretending than she even gets to have. Mm-hmm. She's actually Cersei from The Rock. She was actually the queen, yada, yada, yada. But at the same time, you know, it is kind of all fake, too. But they get to be really in the act. And And she doesn't get to be at all. She has to pretend like their act is actually superior in this case and that they actually have some kind of footing in order to be allowed any kind of separation from the torture that they're giving her. Mm-hmm. It's this is the this is hell for torture for for Cersei right here. Like this torturous hell is the is a living hell for her. And nothing she does or says grants her any sort of upper hand. Right. I really liked when it I'm trying to see if I can see it but when she gets that little shift that's really uncomfortable and so she rips it all up. Oh, yeah. Thinking that they're going to give her her clothes back, you know, if she throws a fit and then yeah. they leave her freezing cold and suffering for a unspecified amount of time. And then she's basically begging thank you as they give her another identical shift as the one before. For. And I just thought that that kind of so well summarized. Mm-hmm. All of the things that she tries to do. So this is the paragraph I was looking for. I'm going to read it. She had threatened, but her threats had been received with stony faces and deaf ears. She had commanded, but her commands had been ignored. She had invoked the mother's mercy, appealing to the natural sympathy of one woman to another. 
but the three shriveled septas must have put their womanhood aside for they spoke when they spoke their vows. She had tried charm, speaking with them gently, accepting each new outrage meekly. They were not swayed. She had offered them rewards, promised them leniency, honors, gold, positions at court. They treated go. her promises the as they stuff. did her threats. And she had prayed. Oh, how she had prayed. Prayer was what they wanted, so she served it to them. And then she kind of goes on talking about all the different things that she's praying, all the prayers that she had remembered as a kid. You know, it's like all coming back. This is like the only way that she can think of to kind of get anybody's attention is to actually, like you're saying, buy into kind mm-hmm. of this system that she can't access. Right. And so, you know, she's in a very uncomfortable uncomfortable scenario and she says she hates feeling weak and this is her completely – there's no news. She doesn't know what's going on. And she's powerless. I've been betrayed by all these people, mm-hmm. except Kyburn. He's my only guy. <laughs> her BFF, Kyburn. Why do you think, the last person to see her. <laughs> why do you think he's still allowed to do Kyburn stuff? I don't know. If, he, if she's so bad. I'm like biasly against, like, I just think Kyburn, we just have had a long history with him on this podcast, I sure. feel like. And so it's like, I can't take him seriously, but I probably should because of. What he's up to. What he's up to and, and how much of all the people left on Earth, this is the last guy that Cersei's really got mm-hmm. at all. Yeah, he does his job. We know that. But, uh, you know, in the meantime, I, maybe other people aren't taking him seriously either. I don't know what it is. But they need a maester. So there he is. Man, that Osney Kettleblack torture scene from the last chapter, mm-hmm. so dark. And that's really what all this hinges on with the High Sparrow. What do you think the sparrows actually want maybe Mm -hmm. less specifically the high sparrow what do you think that in general their plan is i think that's a good question because i think that's a good question i was kind of thinking the same the same thing as i was reading this chapter and as we've like just been reading about their rise to power throughout the series so far i think that as you were saying a little bit earlier what makes them interesting is that they really are a pretty autonomous group. Mm-hmm. I mean, their alignment and allegiance is to God. It's to, like, a higher power. Sure. It's not necessarily to something specific. To me, the only, like, real thing that I feel like they've come out against on a side is Stannis and his red god. They don't want that happening or, sure. or coming because that's, you know, against what they're trying to preach from a religious perspective. But I think that that's what makes them as an entity and the High Sparrow and their whole group such a major threat is because they they can't be swayed by all the stuff that Cersei's trying to sway mm. titles, political power, any of that kind of stuff. There's that I mean that means nothing to these kinds of people and that's the currency um that's used to play. And so I truly I mean, it's hard to say, but I really do just think cuz so to take your question and like wrap it up into another question that I had like later on down the road when Cersei's confessing to the High Sparrow, there's certain things that he's like really prodding into, and certain that I th- thought was were interesting, very revealing, and things that he wasn't prodding into that I thought was interesting. Like yeah. he didn't really care about the whole incest thing. That was yeah. like an afterthought. The thing is, if if he's if he's the guy that we thought he was at first, then he would have different questions for her in this mm-hmm. moment. Mm-hmm. But it turns out after he's got her. And he treats her like this. We know he's not the good guy that he set himself up to be. Right. And we know from this conversation that he's also the political guy that we think he might have actually been the whole time. Right. So, so for, but why though? That's exactly that's so confusing. Yeah. So that ties in, like that moment also ties into that broader question of just like, 
what is it that is necessarily trying to gain and, and maybe it truly is for his own that's what it seems to me. It's, it's for his He's own. He's like a manse, kind of like a linchpin holding these people together. Yeah, and it's between him and his higher power. And, you know, the check, the boxes that he's trying to check here are literally just like he's not trying to necessarily sell Cersei down the river to the Tyrells or something, right. you know? He's so. kind of using Cersei. Oh, he's using Cersei in a big way. For sure, but I think he's using it for his own. Sure. His own thing. Back in the original days of Westeros, Aegon the First dealt with the faith, and it was a different world because people really bought into it. Yeah. It was uh, the seat was located uh, in Old Town, mm-hmm. and it was like a trip to have to deal with the politics because right. he's like, "I'm trying to settle here," and they were like, "Well, we acknowledge your excellency." <laughs> you know, like. It turns out that God says that mm-hmm. you're not so bad after all. The thing, da, da, da. and he's like, "Very well, I believe in y'all as well." And they're like, See you we, later. Be- <laughs> "We believe in you." And then, but you know, then all the fanfare dies down, and then like they send representatives to be like, "All right, let's discuss what we really believe in. Yeah. Who gets what from this, and what do I demand from you, and what Sounds do you fun. demand from me?" So those people had more of a, a sway against the. Uh, the storm of the Targaryens because there was people on the ground, kind of like now with the sparrows, but different that believed in them and would stand up for them. They would start to lose support. There's no way you can, you can burn everyone at the same time with the amount of dragons that they had. So they had to work with people and that's kind of happening here. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's not like we learned from Kevin that there were no troops. It's just that right now, they outnumber us and that a fight inside of the capital with cell swords appearing in the south, confusion with Stannis, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all this stuff that's happening mm-hmm. within and without. It's just not a very good time to launch a fight within the city against people that some of our small folk, a lot of them probably because they have nothing better to do, maybe, or no one else to depend on, will support. Mm-hmm. And it's going to get really messy. And we don't want to deal with this right now. Well, they now. don't have the resources to deal with. I mean, they can't. They Not right this second, but yeah. they do overall. So it's kind of like if the High Sparrow really wants to make something happen, or if he really hates Cersei or something like that, for example, he could just have her killed. But that's not going to do anything. Right. He really wants something. So it's. I don't think he's mad enough or they are mad enough to necessarily, maybe Septonella, I don't know, to just <laughs> yeah. like hurt and, and, and get people out of their way while they have the chance. I think that they know that their days are numbered in some way. I don't know how they could possibly – I wonder what they know about the geopolitical situation with Fagan's people and, you know, whatever happens with Loris and however the Tyrells respond to that. Mm-hmm. Like how do they – I suppose they have something going on with Marjorie and uh, subsequently Loris. But again, if, if, there, if there's troops to stop them from hurting their family – then why would any of those people continue to make a deal with the the faith? Because I think I that think... this Westeros is different than an old Westeros. I just right. I just think it's too there's too much going on right now to put as much stock in the sparrows and the faith. I don't think there's enough soldiers overall across the whole kingdom. But I might I might be wrong about that. I'm just wondering what they want. Right. What's their plan? Because do you, how do you think that Fagan, for example, he rolls in a King's Landing. Let's just forget everything else is happening. Let's say he wins. What do we do with the High Sparrow? And he's like, I've 
thought all these things about、mm-hmm. all these people, and let's say some people have been executed. Cersei's walked. What's the plan? Like, with what's、them? the plan? Yeah, with them? what? What? It's just it doesn't feel like it's going anywhere, and I don't know if that's a failing of the writing to like not make it seem like there's an outcome that makes sense. But to me, it just I don't feel the natural flow of possibility from this. So it you, seems like he's backing himself into a wall almost, or to a corner. So you feel like they've got to be working with someone or something, or or if they're not working with someone or something at this point in time, whoever comes in King's Landing is going to have to contend with them as a force, or not, because before. The faith had; they were like the power. They、mm-hmm. were basically what held everything together. Yeah, but it's really not the same case anymore. I mean, it's not really how it is. I mean, th- there's a reason why the the faith was in the position in the, the last high septum, or in the position that it is in the last high septum, was the way that he was, and that、uh, it was so possible for this rising up to happen within the city. It's just different than it was before. It's less political, and right now, political. Is not very solid for anyone, you know the the state of politics for the leadership, and so maybe that makes sense. Maybe、yeah. that's why they're not connected. So, like you were saying, they are autonomous. They're not leaning on who was born, where, where you're from. There's no trial that they could be put on to say God is not real. Therefore, your choice about who is. Needs to be put on trial is false, but the situation with Cersei and Tommen's rule, for example, which multiple parties are interested in,、mm-hmm. specifically the Tyrells、right. and the Lannisters,、right. that is dependent on. However, this I'm not sure how the everyone's trial is going to go, but there's going to be trial by battle in some case with Robert Strong. Yeah, maybe I don't know. Yeah, yeah. You know where does where where does that all go? It's all smashing together. Who? Why? They could just all go against the High Sparrow, and then it would be over. But it's weird because the Tyrells also want whatever's happening to Cersei. To right,、happen. exactly. <laughs> and I just feel like going against the High Sparrow doesn't、Ooh, do anything for any. Like the only people who really, I mean, we don't one hundred percent know exactly like what. Necessarily happen. I mean, so Marjorie got、mm. off. Oh, okay, yeah, basically, yeah, yeah. But like, maybe for now, right? So the Tyrells are going to be fine with whatever's happening with the High Sparrow. I just maybe though, maybe maybe not, because if 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 Cersei's found guilty, then Tommen loses his legitimacy because、mm-hmm. she's being put on trial for regicide, deicide. What else? Incest. Pesticide. Besides incest <laughs> and、uh, treason, yeah. If she's found guilty of incest, or、uh, if, if she's found guilty of all that stuff at once, because that's what it'll be, then Tommen's no longer king, and Marjorie's no longer queen, right? And what have we been investing all this money for、right. in the first place? So Elena and Mace have got a lot of decisions to make, and it sounds like they're sort of holding back and waiting for stuff to coalesce. Well, it's like I. Th- what do they say about Marjorie? Like she's been, she's basically they've their number one priority is to kind of get her out of whatever situation she's in and like in somewhere safe. I just feel like、um, whatever they've got going on here at this point, the Tyrells just in general, I feel like this is their 
this is their moment. Like, while Cersei is stuck here, while they've got Tommen in their back pocket, while Jamie's nowhere to be found, like, this is the time for them to be making moves. And we're obviously not really seeing very many of what those moves are to be made other than little snippets about, you know, what's going on with Loras. We don't really know. Um, Marjorie is being protected in some way, you know, after everything that's been going, you know, this is their chance time to. I think we got two different stories about that. Some, some apparently like Kevin says that she's in Randall Tarley's custody. And then one of the septas, I think it was Moel. I can't remember her name says that like lets it slip that she's with the King. Yeah. At all times. Right, 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 right. So it's a little confusing. So it's like, who knows? Like all the Tyrell which stuff one she is. Confusing. is what, so. so what's going on with Loris? What's the deal there? Um, I don't know. So I think it's interesting because, they mention him. So, I mean, this is just like, to me, a classic George R. R. Martin kind of moment when, um, which Septa was talking about, was talking about Marjorie, all this kind of stuff. And then she goes, but her brother, and then gets shut up. Yeah. Kind of thing. Like, stop talking. You're so saying like, too much. Anella's like the main guy. Yeah. She's like vice president. Yeah. It's like, you're giving away too much information. Um, and to me, that's just like a red flag of, well, we're like supposed to be thinking about Loras yeah. and then we get snapped. So last we hear about him is he's at Dragonstone fighting. And so the he's lo- taking on grievous wounds. Yeah. That he's dying basically. Right. Or and not. So, but we're not, but we're not sure. And so I feel like as we're thinking about what's going on with the Tyrells period, you know, there's question if like Loras actually was successful in the takeover of Dragonstone or if he's on his way elsewhere to like, broaden the Tyrell the grand Tyrell, Tyrell plan <laughs> so so he, he might be off like he's healed enough and he might be furthering their interests right that doesn't seem likely right so that's kind of like an idea did he or take a ships theory. did he go on foot like ships he's like he's fine or he's fine enough now and he's able to kind of like continue to push their agenda forward whatever their specific agenda might be okay um but I think the basic overall idea just about all of these different whisperings that we're getting about what the Tyrells are up to is that, to me, they're really taking – seizing these opportunities mm-hmm. to, like, try to get their stuff together right. and to hopefully get themselves in a position where um, they can continue – either continue to have a high seat in power or, you know, protect themselves because – they're in a weird position. Yeah. They're in a weird position because there's such a a rush and grab for power mm-hmm. because a lot of the stability of Westeros has been shaken since the stuff went down with Robert and subsequent War of Five Kings. And Cersei's use, the Lannister use of them, partnership, subsequent rise in status and also location of their troops being allowed in strategic places, which is probably the big one when it comes down to it. They've got money and infantry. Even with all that being said, there's so much more happening and they still aren't fully in control. Right. Even though the people that Cersei put in charge that haven't spoken up for her, that she doesn't trust, people like Lord Merriweather, people like Harris Swift, they are basically Tyrell men now Mm -hmm. is the thing. And so they'll go where the power is, just like they went with Cersei. And we've, we've known that since the beginning. Olena and Mace probably know that too. And so I think whatever's going on with Loras, whatever ends up happening there, 
will that'll make them feel more or less incensed, Mm -hmm. more or less pissed off. Like Mm -hmm. we're going to personally do something about this because this great talent, this wonderful person has been taken from us or, or almost permanently hurt in a way that we can't sit idly by and let it happen. If things are really overwhelming, then I don't think that they'll be able to get personal revenge because they're going to be too busy trying to avoid getting hurt themselves. But if they're able to side with someone else, which it seems like kind of a Tyrell thing to do, they might be able to get their revenge and get a whole lot more at Mm -hmm. the same time, which could be really interesting for them. Yeah. What do you think about how we see their storyline playing out in context of the show. I mean, really the Tyrells get wiped out in like one fell swoop in the, yeah. in the TV series. Um, and to me, obviously it seems like it's a little bit going to be a little bit more complex than that. Yeah. I think it's gonna be a lot more complex. Be- yeah. Just be because of Fagon and what's happening right now with, so it may not with go Loris. that way at all. Yeah. I don't, I don't think so. Honestly, I don't think so. Maybe, uh, the version that was adapted in the show is like a symbolic version of what happens. But I don't know if it'll be from Danny's hand necessarily. But if it is, that would be kind of satisfying mm-hmm. because Danny's cool. And if one of her first things in Westeros is taking out the Tyrells in a big way, it would be pretty nuts. That would be pr- – I mean, <laughs> the the uh, argument to just like burn King's Land to the ground, you know. Becomes more and more attractive. I feel like the more complicated things uh, get. Yeah, no kidding. Probably for George too. Honestly, <laughs> I was thinking like, what is he going to do with all of this? You know? Yeah. How does Cersei? Okay, so like I said, she's in the middle of hell right now, mm-hmm. and she's mad about it. Of course. And all of her atonement, obviously, is to stop being tortured. We can totally. I mean, that's what humanity does. That's part of survival. She's just surviving at that. And point. she like. She she says she's going to confess, and she finally gets to eat. She gets a full night's of sleep. Oh, yeah. And she gets into Wonderful a new food. room with that bigger window than yeah. the one that you were talking about at the beginning, which I the was The food description about. of the food that she was fed after she confessed to the High Sparrow was some of the – it was some of the most simple but also – very thoughtfully prepared dishes in the series. And she's been crushed walnuts scattered over this like little salad that she had. I know. I was like, that sounds like something. She got, she got Postmates from sweet green (laughs) for part of her meal. That was pretty cool. But she says, you know, something about how she's falls asleep with the full stomach for the first time. She starts to feel like herself again. She's falling asleep with the full stomach. She is human. She discovers after days of separation from time and space. She's like, wait a second. I have certain needs. That's so relatable. In quarantine. Did you like the, the, the style that George, I don't know if you remember, but at the beginning of the chapter, because we're 54 chapters in, I think he, he sort of brings back a beginning of, of a book in a, in a series. I don't know what it's called. I bet it has a, a fancy name, um, style in which he sort of reiterates what has happened through the perspective of the character rethinking about everything. And it seemed like a little out of place because Hmm. it's not, it doesn't seem like his usual style because we're not in one huge story. He tends to make these point of view chapters hyper local to whatever the person's dealing with and the sort of context of the, the imagery around the setting and uh, how that is a 
like uh, relative to what the person's thinking about sort of establishes the mood. And then we might get like a couple different references to the past. But in this chapter, that was a pretty good beginning of a book vibe, mm-hmm. like re resetting of the information in King's Landing. And uh, I was wondering if you liked that or not, or if it felt random to you. I mean, I think that's probably done for a couple of different reasons. I mean, the first goes back to what we were kind of saying about her being such an unreliable narrator uh. that it adds like this interesting level because we're getting kind of the retelling of her in, experience. Like, fake and real ways at the same yeah, time. Yeah. So, I mean, that could be a particular reason, but I mean, I think that it's helpful. I mean, she's been through, I mean, she's been through quite a bit off page since we've last seen her. And mm-hmm. so I think that for us to really understand understand why she confesses and understand like the context of what leads her to actually make that decision. I feel like we need to really see the types of torture that she's been living through over X amount of time, because otherwise, you know, if we're going to get dropped into it, like sometimes we are, I feel like her motivation to do that Mm -hmm. is to me, her, her, I mean, her motivation is so extremely clear in this chapter, why she's doing that. But without, all of that experience is kind of like who knows what the reasoning behind that might be. And so I didn't notice it, but now that you're mentioning it. I was curious how much of that is his responsibility or if maybe like an editor said there should be some sort of a framework like this around the beginning of it. But I like the idea of it being sort of <clears throat> adopted and used in a non-normal way, but to present her inner narrative in a way that feels comfortable and like it's trustworthy and mm-hmm. real, like it's coming from George, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but it's actually not. It's coming from Cersei, and we don't really know what to think. I, I loved that around the the three quarters of the way through the chapter, just the banding about of her words with the High Sparrow, and then when she was walking back, and then inside of the cell, uh, talking to the Septas, and just reliving the info, but having her inner her italics being mm-hmm. like just hateful yes the so whole thing about her and jamie on oh, yeah. their wedding that's night gonna be my own that, probably is that insane where, yeah. where is i'm gonna read it right now we can read it later too it's worth the dual read here we go oh my god it's so bad these ladies are the worst i feel bad i know cersei is the worst I know Cersei sucks, but this is. You feel bad for her? Yeah, this is a cold chapter. You see, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't appreciate or like what they're doing because they have nothing. At least Cersei's got some weird legacy from Tywin and she was born into it. I mean, they are weird. The Lannisters are weird. But she's done a lot of horrible stuff and with no consequence. Sure. Yeah, no, you're totally right. But these people suck. Yeah, they're. What did she say in the beginning about how the three of them have become her world, basically? Yeah, and like, yeah. This her is world it. is this large, yeah. and she has Kyburn as well. Yeah, man, they just—they're just aspects of her and of reality that, for some reason, the gods wanted her to have to be completely exposed to. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think she's learning things about the world that she—she's getting reminded things about the world that she hates. Yeah. And that she's willing to destroy if it destroys her in the process. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe not her kids. Maybe her kids, too. Hell, I don't know. I mean. She's pissed. She already is. I mean, you look at, like, the way she reacts to the Marcella news. 
Yeah. You know? Yeah, that was kind <laughs> of like, strange. Kind of weird. Yeah, I was expecting it to be a little bit more sad than that. Yeah. Here's the here's the quote about uh, Jamie when they were walking back, and here's a Sept, uh, you know, being so helpful to her. Just you know, they're so happy that she atoned. You must feel you, so. Crazy. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, you can go no, for it. I wasn't it. even reading it. That, I just was remembering. That's it. <laughs> okay, that's it. So. <laughs> you must feel so much lighter now. Clean and innocent as a maid on the morning of her wedding. Honestly, guys, this is what she thought right after that. I fucked Jamie on the morning of my wedding. (laughs) The queen recalled. I do, she said. I feel reborn as if a festering boil had been lanced. And now at last I can begin to heal. I can almost fly. I don't get it. Are are most of our characters like you get it? <laughs> Who else in our POVs are, is like this? Uh, Daenerys did the same thing on her wedding day. What does she do? With Dario. Doesn't she do the same thing when she's marrying his Oh, yeah, his but door? his, come on. <laughs> come on. I'm just saying. Not even his we, daughter would be mad about that, like I don't think. We Daenerys, and so we're like, oh, and I love Dario. I, I'm not mad at Cersei like, for fucking Jamie the day she married Robert, no, honestly. No, 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 of course think not. Think about how many women Robert has fucked right, in and out of his marriage. A thousand percent. It's just funny. But yeah, like, I think that that whole conversation is just hilarious because... From my own, like, personal life experience perspective of, like... Being an adult. Being an adult and, like, being, like, deeply religious, too. It's like you can, like, see all of these different, like... So do people talk passive-aggressively like that, then? Yes! And they, like, use faith and... Oh, my God. All day, every day. (laughs) So it's just... I feel like it's just, like, to me, like, as this extra... Just, like, I feel reborn. It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Dude, honestly, get me out of here for that. (laughs) Or I could watch... See, that's the thing. That's a test of patience. Mm -hmm. And Cersei's not... She doesn't want to play that. This whole chapter is a long extension of patience. The the High Sparrow, he's an old guy. He's had a very colorful life. And this connects back to what we were talking about. And I was like, what does he want? I think, if anything, he's just enjoying, like, this system working for him. He knows that if he's slow and he sits in this stupid room with with ugly carven faces, Mm -hmm. it's the simplest, meekest, most humble room with no shoes. And I don't wash my feet. If I do all these things and you come in this room and he's so rude about asking her questions. You know, she's like, says all this stuff. And he's like, yep. Yeah, but she's also BSing him and he knows it. Well, you're playing the game, too, buddy. I know, but it's like he's he's got the power right now and she's in his hands yeah. and she thinks that she can and he's all, a dick about it all I've done is just my cousin and you know like right. this is the only that's terrible pretty thing. good that's a pretty good confession if I'm being honest I mean it's a good confession but think it's such about a f- it you're Cersei you're if you say whatever you're about I'm to say telling, it's gonna be written forever right and I'm not saying she should or would confess any of the real things but to me like this whole exchange between the two of them it's like Nothing. What happens? Like Cersei doesn't say anything, right. and that whole plea about how she was lonely and she needed mm-hmm. some, like she needed the. That makes sense. <laughs> you don't think people use those arguments now? They absolutely. They do. completely do. But it was just funny because it was just like I needed the power. I needed to sure. be protected yeah. as a widow. She's like a woman's I weak. I need to protect I'm my a weak children. Woman. She's like appealing to this guy's misogyny. And he's like, you know, right. women are pieces of shit after all. Right. The whole. What does he say? He's he's called he's. I forget. I forget what. But the the face official stance is that women are a blight upon men that just serve to tempt them. I agree with the second part of that, but not the first part. <laughs> it's just like 
But to have all of this conversation happening while she's also, like, thinking earlier in the chapter about how she's, like, stuck in a woman's body and, like, how she she hates it. And now she's, like, and how she was trying to appeal, like, woman to woman to the mother. Like, all this stuff. She's, like, the worst person to, to, like, come out and say that something really bad happened to her. Right. Because she... She completely understands all of it and just believes whatever the current most powerful thing that she can say for her game's purposes, even in her inner monologue, even in her personal thoughts. Mm -hmm. It goes that deep. So I guess I just got the answer to my question. Does Cersei believe her own BS? The answer is she believes whatever she needs to believe in the moment to just move past that moment. Yeah. Right. Interesting. That's why she's so effective. At least, Except you know, for here, you know, so I well, just, I don't know, man. She got the food after all. She did, but now she's going to trial. They were always going to give her the food, though, because it, they tortured Osney proper. You know yeah, what I mean? Like right. they did as much as they would to her. It's not like it would have gotten worse. I don't think. I mean, I don't know that it was pretty like ruthless. It was. And it was pretty sustained. And there was no, I guess when, because we don't get any communication, she's like cut off from even like the septas aren't really talking to her until uh-huh. she decides to confess. I mean, to me, like, she made the only choice that she had. There's no way that, like, she had to eventually confess something. She could have acted like something was wrong with her, and they could have, like, come to check on her. She could have poked their eyes. That would have been fun. I think you're really close, and she's like, get Septa and Nell's eyeball out. She, she could have, but then, like, <laughs> then what happens after that? You know? I don't know, but, you yeah. know, at least that happened to Septa and Nella at, at the end of all of it. I'm going to read this paragraph that... Cersei believes about everyone around her. She hated and despised all of them. Almost as much as she hated and despised the men who had betrayed her. False friends, treacherous servants, men who had professed undying love, even her own blood. All of them had deserted her in her hour of need. Osney Kettleblack, that weakling, had broken beneath the lash, filling the High Sparrow's ears with secrets he should have taken to his grave. His brothers, scum of the streets, who she raised high to no more than sit upon their hands. Arane Waters, her admiral, had fled to the sea with the drummond she had built for him. Orton Merriweather had gone running back to Longtable, taking his wife, Tyna, who had been the Queen's one true friend in these terrible times. Really. Harris Swift and <laughs> Grand Maester Pycelle had abandoned her to captivity and offered the realm to, ver- to the very men who conspired against her. Marin Trant and Boros Blunt, the king's sworn protector were nowhere to be found. Even her cousin Lancel, who once had claimed to love her, was one of her accusers. Her uncle had refused. I wish she would have said an uncle, just to make it a little bit more. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? Like, what is that? Her <laughs> uncle had refused to help her when she would have made him the king's hand. She would have made him the king's hand. Anyway. Who wants that job? Right now? I don't know. It's a weird time because, like I said, all this, like, it, King's Landing is a a magnet for people trying to claim power, power right now. You know, Illyrio's got his sights set hard. I want to go back to my question though: whose POV chapters are even like this? Who in our story buys into the structure, the power structure, and the I don't know, like the the ability to use like what the faith is Who doing else is playing the game of thrones i think everyone in their own way is trying <laughs> to make their situation the best possible of course but maybe let maybe not aria specifically she's really really fed up with all of it and for good reason she's seen a lot of messed up stuff and she's really bright and is able to see all the inconsistencies that people say and then what they do and what they believe and how they act and John's the same, and I could go through a list. I think pretty much everyone that we that we see the story through, maybe except the Greyjoys, but they're crazy in their own way. 
are are kind of they it's like they think people like this are so lame that they distance themselves from it entirely and they don't even try to play this game so i'm just like i'm wondering who else is like this it's it makes me uncomfortable to read it i don't like it i want to say it makes me mad but i'm more so just mad at the high sparrow Mm -hmm. i'm so annoyed that these people would be so cowardly and live like this and talk like this and demand stuff from each other and hit each other, hurt each other, and torture each other, not allow people to sleep and mess up their lives, basically, for nothing, for the just because we can. It's not for nothing or just because we can. I mean, if you look, like, if you look from their perspective, it's like to cleanse the earth of sin. But they don't really believe it. They don't believe it. They don't, though. It doesn't seem like they believe it at all. To I me. don't know. I mean, I, who am I to say that? But just because, just because they're not necessarily aligned with something that's happening in King's Landing mm-hmm. doesn't mean it's like off or not, or like there's not some sort of like ulterior motivation or like higher power that they're answering to. You know what I mean? Like some true buy-in to some higher power. Like, so for them, they're just like carrying out their Lord's work, basically, you know? And so like cleansing the earth is their goal of sin. And somebody like Cersei Lannister has committed sin and they want to cleanse yeah. I mean, sure. There's that's, so much more to it, though. Sure, for sure. But I'm just saying, like, I don't think that it's interesting to me because I, you know, and I, I hate, like, I'm not trying to say Cersei necessarily deserves to, like, not be able to sleep for months on end. But, like, look at all the terrible stuff that she's done with her time and with her energy and yeah. with her life and yeah. even the way she talks and thinks about her children. I love how, like, Kevin, like, doesn't even want to hug her. He, like, sure. basically, he, like, tolerates it for a few yeah. seconds. Like, she's not a saint and she's not a good person she doesn't care and she doesn't so care at all. you know she's not warm at all she's no. a cool person and so you know i i get it's like this question of you know who are who are who is the high sparrow and all of his squad and like what's the point and what are they gonna do but to me i mean i have no idea what i was trying to say <laughs> see me lose my train of thought in the middle of that I don't, maybe you don't believe in what you're saying maybe that's what it is i mean don't you think that there's to me he really doesn't buy in to any of this stuff then what's ba- the point of what he's doing i think that he's the a a vagrant and he's been a vagrant and he's a really smart person and he's not bought into things and now he's buying into things but he's like doing it in re- almost rebellion to his whole life. He's like, oh, here it is, by the way. Here's some order that I found. I think maybe he really used, maybe the the seven gods brought him peace in his life at one point. But I think that he's old, old enough and smart enough to know that what he's doing is not in the best interest of those seven gods. I think maybe he's convincing himself like Cersei is. I don't, I don't know. I disagree with you. Okay. So you think the High Sparrow is a pious and true priest to what he believes okay sure and i think it comes down to like if you think that what he believes is right or not so torturing people is okay i'm not that's i'm not trying to say that torturing people is okay right but to him yeah he thinks it's okay because he wants to get sin out of the world yeah because in his mind and i mean Sort of rightfully so. Like, look at all the things that Cersei's being accused of. Sure, but he's, you know, why not just say it straight up then? Like, why does he have to pretend and play the game? Is that, is that just part of it? Because I think he truly believe. like, I mean, we just see it differently. Like, What I about t- his reaction to uh, 
the the stuff that she like blames on Stannis, and uh, she's like, "Oh, that's Stannis. He's he's saying that I had incestuous relations and had incestuous kids because he wants the throne for himself, and he'll say anything." And the High Sparrow was like, "Well, yes," and he is perpetuating this in, this doctrine of the Red Demon. And he shall be stopped. It was like they found a mutual enemy, so he decided not to dig into that any further. Yeah, because Stannis is. He's he's he Stannis has a different religion than him, so he's going to automatically dismiss like his judgment because like Stannis believes in a false god. So you know? you're saying that it's possible that the High Sparrow is not as subtle as it seems, and he's like actually just yeah. like hates Stannis because he's against the faith. So he's just like I I anything about him I don't support. Right. Hmm. I don't know. I think it's interesting. I think to me it's interesting if we have this power and this force that can't be swayed by any sort of political. That is interesting. If that's how it is, thing. that if would be interesting. Is. I mean, the, I would be curious how Fagon would deal with that. If Fagon deals with it. Right. If that happens. Yeah. I'd be interested to know what it would be like if those forces ran into these people. I mean, I truly think anybody against that. Anybody, because, yeah. Because it's, you know, what if it, what if he truly is somebody who can't buy? Right. You know? Right. And well, how would he react with someone like Jon Snow? If he's, if he's really that guy. I'd probably kill him. Who would probably kill who? <laughs> I swear I'll probably kill John. Why? I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, I don't know. But, you know, if the High Sparrow can be bought by somebody, then it's like, then he just becomes another player in the game. Other I think than he this, like, is bought. other than by, other than like this immovable pillar that like has this completely alternate view on like what the end game is. So he's, so you're saying it's possible that he's, on one hand, faith-based and completely buying it, but also giving the Tyrells special treatment because he's afraid that they're going to kill him. I don't think him. he's giving the Tyrells special treatment necessarily. I think he is, though. If Marjorie's not in a cell like that, she's been she's been accused of some pretty dastardly things. And I know some people came forward and said that, that it was all, but not. But still, like, wouldn't he be really, so obsessed with, the, we don't with that really fact? We know, like, what happened with Marjorie, though, necessarily. Like, we don't know... Well, if he's not, if if Marjorie's not in that cell, then I think that he's BS. But is he is she free because she's going to go to trial? You know, and Cersei goes to Cersei leaves before going to trial. Yeah, you know, stuff but, like that. Yeah, like, yeah. So we don't truly know, yeah. like, if Marjorie has actually gotten off the hook. This will be interesting to know. It'll be interesting to know whenever yeah. it comes around because I think Cersei is so deeply at her core, shaken by this, that she's willing to pretty much do anything to get her revenge. A thousand percent. So how do you think Cersei will get her revenge? I don't know, but you look at like, so this conversation she has with Kevin and we alluded to the Marcella thing and she learns that this is whole like go around where Kevin's like, I got some bad news. And she's like, what is, you know, there's like eight things that happen like before she actually gets the quote unquote bad news. It's really bad news, but like the way she takes it, you know, Kevin. she learns about how she's like, Marcella, we have, he, we have grave news from Dorne. And she, the first thing she thinks is like Tyrion's, like this is a Tyrion problem. <laughs> Tyrion messed up, like D, blah, 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 blah. Um, so when I think about like how one track minded she is against Tyrion and we look at her like in her down, I mean, this is Cersei's downward spiral that we've, 
been seeing. And so you look at like her one track mind with somebody like Tyrion, who is the root cause of every problem. And Marcella's in Dorne and gets her ear cut off by Dark Star. And <laughs> that's Tyrion's fault, you know? So I feel like the same sort of one track, like single mindedness on at the expense or cost of anything and everything else around her. And if we can take the show in any sort of context at the expense of somebody like Tom and, and the rest of her family, mm. you know, to bring down, you know, to, to act revenge on these people or on the High Sparrow, on all the people you listed off at the beginning that mm. have wronged her. I mean, she truly has no one except for... Maybe Jamie. She doesn't and have Jamie. Yeah, and Kyburn. I mean, she doesn't really have Jamie. She believes it pretty hard, She though, believes it. Until Kevin tells her about... Brienne. Raven Tree, yeah. I mean, she doesn't have Jamie, at least right now. We don't really know, like, where his allegiance will ultimately lie. But, um. He didn't respond to the letter. He didn't respond to the letter. The letter sucked, though. Well, she was like, well, he must I not. I love have, you. I love you. He must I love not have you. read it. Her attempts to be warm just are, you know, I hate when I see that in real life, too. You hate to see it. It's yeah. like, you're not a warm person. Right. You're trying to be nice, but it comes off like a psychopath. Right. <laughs> oh, God. Well, she, but then she's like, you must not have read it. There's no way that he would respond to my beautiful letter without coming directly to my... I hope he doesn't go ahead of his armies. I hope that he... Yeah. You know. Yeah, he'll recklessly jump into the city and, and tear me out already, of this. And he's here already, like, how will I know? Why is he not you? Yeah. Hmm. So... It's uh I'm really, really, really excited for I her walk of atonement is one of my all time favorite moments in a song of ice and fire. Like to me that's like one of those like in the way it's written, it's just like a world stopping moment as you kind of watch her for the first time really like truly pay for everything she's done, you know? As a reader, that's like a little cathartic because as much as like we kind of enjoy Cersei's spiraling and mm-hmm. her wild and out twenty four seven, like I, you know, she she pays for a lot of the like problems that she's caused, and it's like you know, really beautifully written. So <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward to it. But we get some um, at the end of the chapter. We get a like a cliffhanger. Basically, so she hears about Marcella and that there's so, Eris Oakhart is gone. So funny. Rest when, in peace. When Kevin's like, some guy named Gerald Dane did this. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm like, what's his name? Yeah. <laughs> you said his name was Gerald Dane. <laughs> what are they yeah, I think you mean Dark Star, baby. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, then he calls him that later or something. He's like, yeah, I think people call him Dark Star. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why we think that's so funny. Because it's ridiculous. Um, I love it. I think him and Axel Florent would get along really well. So true. But she learns that, that he's that. Eris Oakhart is dead. And so Justin she's Massey. Like, she's like, go to Lord Kyburn on my behalf. Bring him a white cloak and tell him the time has come. So what does that mean? Well, we know what it means. It means that uh, Gregor Clegane is coming back. and Clegane Bull is back on. <laughs> they're going na- to name him a member of the Kingsguard. Why? I don't know. 
after his conversation with Cersei here. I don't know why he would pass that word along, but yeah, but he does. That's such a good question. Yeah, <laughs> he's like, oh, yeah. After this, he's like, that's. Yeah. A, I'm going to listen to what she says. She just got done telling him that she <laughs> believes that Tyrion was in Dorne. Telling people to hurt Marcella for some like yeah. what a waste of your time to just torture Cersei's daughter mm-hmm. in a non-direct and in indirect way. It's just such a strange. See, uh, I, I want to get to the, what we were just talking about, but what what is that all about? It's it's she. I think I think we gotta separate ourselves a little bit from being really mad at Cersei and understand that she has severe mental problems. I mean, well, A, she's been tort, like genuinely tortured. That, there's that. There's that. Yeah. But B, she, I mean, she does. I mean, yes, this whole Tyrion's like. He's it's dark a, and sneaky. He's always a, in the shadows. I know this was him. Prophecy. It's a self-fulfilling. Self-fulfilling. <laughs> a self-fulfilling prophecy of, you know, this whole like Maggie the Frog thing that's been following her since day one. It's I so mean, weird. But though. that's the. Well, Just use your brain. That's the interesting thing about it, though, is like. She eventually, she's like her own, she's her own downfall and she's going to blame it on 10 million other things that are out of her control and not take responsibility. But at the end of the day, like she's the one who truly brings about her own downfall. So this she, whole Tyrion thing. She thought just, she was doing the right thing though. She was trying to play Tywin after Tywin left and she didn't really have a lot of help. But I mean, she could have had as much help as she wanted to, I guess. Yeah. And yeah. she could like, you know, be nice to her kids. Yeah. What were we just talking about before that? Uh, and Bowl. Yeah. So, how do you think that Kyburn brought him back from the dead? <laughs> oh, I just like don't want to know. It's the so details, strange, you know. It's so strange. So she tells Kevin, "Hey, do this one thing left for me. I'm swear I'm not crazy." <laughs> He's like, "Okay." <laughs> how does he get brought back in the show? There's no, there's no scene that we don't know. There's no acknowledgement. We just have, just we just see him. Kyburn's like, a mad scientist. Yeah. In this little like basement lab. Yeah. Beakers yeah. and schematics. And we just see he him. comes up with the answer. Yeah. So he brings back Robert Strong, right? Mm-hmm. How did the heck does he do that? I mean, there's a lot of dark. We've, I mean, we've seen a lot of dark magic and like. We've seen crazy stuff. stuff. Happen, we've seen crazy. So. We've seen really unfair stuff. We've seen beautiful stuff. We've seen poignant stuff wrapped up in like a muddy pathway with people that don't really like each other. We've seen like a whole broad range of expression through these people, mystery and beauty and bad stuff. But this guy, though, I mean, he's a. I'm just curious about this it's like a monster movie kind of thing it is like a zombie kind of but there's no white walkers there's no you know uh there's no melisandre birthing a shadow out of her body well who knows what kyburn is like truly capable of well that's my question because he's there yeah what do you think i mean is he a wizard i feel like he's got to have some kind of tie to some i want to say eastern religion or like something greater to like give him this power or authority, or maybe he's just like really good doctor, or like a mad scientist, like he says. Sure, but like how? You know, is he using? Is he? Uh, you, is he have a, a spike that has lightning strike it and it channels all this electricity know, like, down and the nervous like system of this head. giant? Like he just like sewed it back together and like gave him a blood transfusion. Yeah, that's what it something. seems like. <laughs> that's what it seems like. And later <laughs> like, on, we learned that uh, his fellow Kingsguard guys are like, this guy doesn't eat. Yeah, he doesn't eat, sleep. 
Piss, shit. Well, you think about like never how- smelled and fart ever. <laughs> this is weird. Like, how's John gonna come back to life? You know, and so well, we just don't. Mel Saunders know- there, and plus he has a wolf that he wargs into. Right, but so we just, but we don't know a lot about. We haven't seen it happen, right. so we don't know a lot about like who have we seen come back to life other than what's his name. Red God guy. I don't forget every person's name is. <laughs> it's a fire every time we record this podcast. Um, whatever his name is. Thoros. Like, yes. No, sorry, Beric. <laughs> one of, one of those people that's Thoros, out there. Thoros brings back Beric from the dead. <laughs> I got somebody on this podcast that knows about a song of ice and fire. Anyway, that's the only like real example we have of somebody coming back to life. And that's done through some sort of like religious act. So, you know. And I guess we can then, well, we don't know what happens with John. It does Melisandre actually bring him back, or is he like warred into ghosts? And like, so is that going to be like a religious act? I don't know. Only death so. can pay for life. Let's let's use that rule. Okay. So Kyburn's taking people from the street down to his little dungeon, or criminals because they sometimes give him criminals. Let's say it took a hundred lives to bring back Gregor Clegane because he was so dead, poisoned, beheaded, etc. How did the hundred lives get channeled into his body? I don't know. If you're going to write a book and you're going to bring a guy back who's eight foot tall, all right, and he's going to be the main linchpin in the trial, it's gonna gotta, be, I got to know how he did it. It's going to be like making a horcrux, like too dark to know. But that makes sense. Making the horcrux was revealed in the first, in the very beginning, you know, like the, what he was doing to Harry was him trying to make a horcrux. When it backfired, the soul got attached to Harry because it was the nearest living thing, right? That that was the goal. That was the purpose. That was him making a horcrux. He's got a magic wand. There's magic happening. I'm pointing it at you. I'm saying magical words. Magic is happening. That's not how... But it is in that book. It is how magic happens in that book. Okay. No, they're, it doesn't They're though. channeling like, nature some... through their wands right, right, because right, they right, have right. magical blood with right. them. So let's say Kyburn's a magician. I don't know how he breaks. Well, I don't, I, you I don't, don't have to know. <laughs> We're just speculating. You don't have to be George R. R. Martin in this. I don't even know if George knows yet, but I'm, I'm just curious because he's still there at King's Landing. You know, he, he's still there by the end of it with right. the knives. Right. And it's so cool. Like, honestly, it's creepy. It is Kyburn, very creepy. late in this book, is creepy. And especially when you think about, like, the fact that Cer- he and Cersei are, they've obviously had a lot of time off page to, like, sure. if they're this close. Sure. You know? So it's also, like, she's crazy. What is this like? So I don't really know if they're actually that close. I think they are. Like conspiring. Okay. Okay. They're conspiring. Whisperings. Okay. Ranting and ravings. Sure. Spiralings. I don't know. So how is he gonna, I mean, where, (laughs) where does he, I think he's gonna be big bad boy. (laughs) I thought you were gonna ask, how does he bring back? (laughs) (laughs) Again? I don't know. (laughs) I think he might be big bad boy. I think he might be like, you're on his little friend. Oh, interesting. (laughs) Why not? He can bring back the mountain who was beheaded and poisoned. I mean, he's got some sort of, like, real, genuine power. How does... What happens to him in the show? He's, like, all that... Remember at the Kling Game Bowl? He's, like, walks past. He's, like, oh. (laughs) No, no. I think he dies then. It's like a master student thing. Yeah. And then Cersei's, like, (laughs) 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 I forgot about that. So master student thing. So that could be that could be his fate. 
Yeah, I mean, this monster thing seems so random. It's it seems too random, and I honestly have not had enough conversations like this about it. So I do not want to pass this up because I don't know what's going to happen with Kyvern, and I haven't heard anyone talk about it. None of my friends talk to me about Kyvern. Why don't more people talk to me about Kyvern? <laughs> Send out a max mass text. <laughs> yeah. Why haven't we talked about the fact that I mean, Kyvern uses. Uh, in the show, he's got this syringe and he's got a, like an organic test tube or not test tube, like an organic, uh, what is it called? The little fluid he, goes through a little tube. Yeah. Like a hose made out of like flesh from like an animal, probably some kind of like weird intestine. And he's, I'm taking poison out of here and putting it into here and I'm using some, you know, stem cells and. Why was he? Like, why was his chains, maester chains taken away again? It's sort of mysterious, but he was doing things that doing were not approved yeah, by other like maesters. He was, he was so doing there's some the sort beginning of, of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? But we don't know exactly what he was doing, right? We just know that he was doing things that were, like, off book. Sure. Like, that weren't yeah, normal. Very off book. Yeah, yeah. They were blue. They were blue in nature. I mean, so I guess you can maybe potentially, well, I don't know. I was going to say you can argue, like, somebody who is a maester has quote-unquote power in their own right because they've you know knowledge gone to special school like knowledge is power yeah sure. but you know there might be other some like deeper probably likely something like deeper at work with somebody like Kyburn, But i didn't see anything come out of maester lewin though and you know he he was like in a position if he had some kind of power to reveal to yeah. do something he yeah. could have he yeah. could have done something that's a good point with theon and all that that's a good point even like power of reasoning but I guess there was no reasoning at that point. There was nothing. But Kyber in that case, I think, could have maybe social engineered it a little differently. But I'm hung up on this this potential wizardry or untold <clears throat> potential for Kyber to serve even scarier masters. I just um, Googled Kyburn theories. <laughs> okay. Now we're talking. Now we're talking. Make sure they're not show theories. Though. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's hard to, uh, <laughs> that's hard to search for when I just type in those two words. But, um, I mean, I'm not reading any of these. This is not helpful. <laughs> this, is not, this is not helpful in this exact moment. So we're going to have to come back to this. But if you guys have any, anyone has any Kyburn theories. Please let way. us know. Yeah. I want to I'm I'm curious about that. With a Q. About Kyvern. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird. It is it is weird. It is weird. And like I said, him being the only guy in Cersei's ear, truly. Like, the next you know, Cersei chapter going on. In your brain, folks, it might be that it's just an invention of the show. Yeah. That Gregor Cagain picks up and carries Cersei away, but that, that is though. a That's... that is a Georgism. That is in the next chapter. This guy that is a brought back to life character in this book. There's five books right now, and they all check out. There's not there's not silly stuff that has the has the telltale signs of uh, bad writing and like a a not very well fleshed out imagination. Like we're confident in George's skills to tell us a story that we buy. So I'm really curious as to what he's going to do to justify bringing back the mountain Clean from gamble. death. Clean gamble. That's the only justification that, we need. So that's like a look at this instead of don't look at this. Yeah. Look at this. Don't <laughs> don't ask me questions. It doesn't matter why he brought back is brought back. The only thing that matters is that he back. Oh, wow, it's a dangerous world out here. <laughs> dangerous. 
I'm trying to think if there's any other questions. I mean, there's just a lot of stuff that we just don't know about what's going to happen with with the like what the Tyrells next big moves really are going to be and how Cersei really like handles something like Jamie not being on her side and what's really up with Kyber and all this kind of stuff, you know. There's a lot of intrigue happening at King's Landing and I feel like it's easy to write off kind of what's happening at King's Landing because we look at the stuff that's happening beyond the wall or we look at the stuff that's happening with any other character <laughs> that seems to be like a little bit more I guess like intriguing or like have broader implications because it's like at the end of the day is this really the song of ice and fire about and the clash between the, the sparrows yeah like that Ugh. to me that like the the fight for the actual iron throne um it's like when you're it's like if you've really been paying attention to game of thrones then you know it's not really about the game of thrones like you know kind of thing mm-hmm. so i think it could be like easy to like dismiss what's happening in king's landing by oh, we're all gonna get blown up anyway or something but i mean there's a lot of intrigue here and there's a lot of moving parts do you think cersei's gonna blow blow up the sept i think that there will be an abundance of wildfire used at some point by someone like i think the idea of like king's landing just getting burnt to a crisp whether it's like on purpose by cersei or potentially like on accident or something you know what i mean like i think absolutely so the wildfire is going to come back for sure i would think i mean i think so remember in this chapter when she was like oh i know why he he wanted her ear cut off because he had his nose cut off during blackwater it's like what that scene though Yikes. that scene in the show with the wildfire and Tommen, like that whole oh yeah that whole sequence is one of my favorite scenes in the show yeah. just like the the music and the it's such a good that kept us all hanging on it's, after uh that was like season five <laughs> yeah really we're like oh yeah god it's so good that was i mean that was really good though for so. sure it was excellent yeah really excellent Maybe it might go down like that again. If it does go down like that again, then uh, Cersei will have gotten her revenge. But I don't know. I think that she's she's going to be doing it wrong if she does it that way. I think that she should it should be really slow, like what she did to the the Septa in the TV show. Mm-hmm. That's how it should be for mm-hmm. the High Sparrow. Mm-hmm. I think that he's the worst one. Interesting. Yeah. Although I'm not, I'm not sure how it's going to shake out for him with everyone else. And it's the same for Kyburn. Um, this chapter has left me with nothing but questions. And I'm thinking about everybody else that's going to fill this power vacuum. There's a lot of, oppor- I mean, there's a lot of opportunity. Such a weird situation for them to be in. Kevin's like, I don't know where the Stannis got the money for those troops. And uh it's like, well, did Cersei ever talk to the Iron Bank when they were trying to talk to her? We were confused or we're uh, not confused. We're distracted. By all of these things happening in the city and uh, what people that we are calling our friends might do. So confusing. It's like, aren't they the people that you just made your allies? The Tyrells? That's politics, baby. It's like I was saying earlier, not how most of the people that we travel with in this world live. And I think that that's good. Well, it just like makes me think about it's just it's like Cersei's just so bad at all of this. Yeah, but she's kind of good too. I think she's okay, but like she just like prides herself so much being her father's daughter when Tywin would have, you know, sat down with the Iron Bank. 
You think he would have? I mean, I don't know. I think he was a little bit more savvy than she was. He's, oh, he's, yeah. I mean, he's, <laughs> <laughs> he's got less of like, she has like such a chip on her shoulder. She does. How much do you think that has to do with her actual ineffectiveness? The fact that she's a woman and the sort of inherent misogyny in their system? I mean, she's absolutely going to be at a disadvantage because of that. I'm not going to dismiss that at all because I think that that's true. But I think that the interesting thing about her character is that she blames so much of her problems on things like that when she, at the end of the day, it's her personality. Right. That's Don't you love people do that? You know, and so it's like absolutely that that's an issue that we see happening in a song of ice and fire but like she's the problem oh yeah you look at lady olena who's doing basically the same thing that cersei's doing but she's doing it behind mace yeah right like separating herself from the fire essentially right which is wise she's a really smart character olena yeah 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 her and tywin made pretty good a pretty good match pretty good friends that's exciting. Yeah. I'm really excited for the next Cersei chapter. I know I've said that 50 times in this one, but, and this chapter is really good too, but you know, I'm just excited. I really liked George's use of the space that she was in mm-hmm. and all the stuff that she was going through to scream all of the truths of her situation. Mm-hmm. It's just what you're supposed to do. It's not only tell us a story, but if you can use every word to back up your whole point. And I really think that he did that in a big way with what she's dealing with in the room and how they treated her. And it was really, really annoying what she was dealing with, like on uh, several levels. There's deep levels of annoying, and then there's just how they treat her, levels of annoying, and the certain kind of personalities that they had, levels of annoying. And for Cersei particularly, that kind of stuff would really, really eat at her. So he knows, obviously, he knows her really well, and... uh crafted this perfect little scenario it seems like like perfect little hell exactly (laughs) it seems like these situations are real but really all they are is a a storyteller going this is happening like i want to create this feeling inside of this place so before this chapter happened none of this stuff this place this area really existed the the kevin coming to see cersei all of that is was you know, it came up because it was the only thing that could happen. He like set up all the dominoes and then knocked them down. And then as he knocked them down, the way that they fell, like yelled back at us, mm-hmm. Cersei sucks. What she's dealing with is really bad. And even though she's doesn't deserve retribution because she's it's not like she's been innocent because all of these people are buying into this weird game. That they're at risk still from her, mm-hmm. still, if she's smart enough to get herself out of there and she has enough friends to get herself out of there. Which she clearly does she does. Well, she does, though. Friends? No, no, no. Not necessarily because they like her, but she's laid the groundwork with Ooh. people like Kyburn. There's what? That's one. When she comes out, she's going to have the mountain literally Two. carry her. Okay. And there's Tommen, who's her kid, who's the king. Yeah, but who's in Marjorie's pocket? Yeah, not as, not, not as much as... Not as much as Cer- he's in Cersei's, So I'll though. give it His two mom. and a half. Okay. Peeps. I mean, but they're really powerful. One's going to be fighting for her in a trial. One can bring people back from the dead, and one is king. A kid king, but yes. Sure. Yeah. But her uncle's the Lord Regent for now, too. Yeah. And for what it's worth, like I said, the Tyrells need Tommen to remain king for Cersei to be queen. Or for, for Marjorie to be queen. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, but are do they want? I mean, I don't know. Like, are they just trying to get out? If though? I were them, see, you know, I was going to talk about that earlier. If I were them, I would try to get out because of all the stuff that's happening. Yeah, so it's like maybe her being queen like isn't the top their top priority necessarily at this moment. Like they're just. <sighs> I don't know what they want. If yeah. they retreated or if they became less involved with politics, someone's going to come from them, come for them and ask for fealty either way. So they're kind of in a weird, a tough position because they need to either be offensive or defensive and they have to make up their mind basically right now, right now. And that's one of the reasons why the situation with Loris is so important to know about because he's not only a powerful player in their corner potentially and also figuratively, but of the potential way that they're going to react to it and how that personal reaction might affect their ability to play the game. A lot of shit going on. There is. Owns of the chapter. I was thinking that before we go into the owns of the chapter, I have one comment that needs no comment. But when you were talking about, this is a meta question. When we were, you were talking about like how George R. R. Martin wrote that space that didn't exist before. I was just like thinking about his writing style, period. And you know how like some authors talk about how characters and like plot lines and stuff kind of write themselves yeah like i wonder how often that happens with him you know it's probably every time it's so interesting yeah it's like he knows it's kind of like uh making a podcast almost uh-huh. we have a feeling about how we feel but the act of doing it itself is what literally lays the groundwork so for example if you're a rapper here's what i do when i go to the studio right when you start right yeah, i put on a beat i put on a beat i put on my headphones <laughs> and i use the same mic i'm making this podcast with and what i do is i listen to it right and i'm like uh-huh 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 and then just start going and then like sometimes it's words and sometimes it's just a feeling sometimes it's just a sound but the attitude and the energy is there and i feel like that's what he's doing he's like and he's like but what happens here computer yeah exactly yeah that's just interesting Okay, now we can go to own. But he knows the truth about it. He knows the truth about all of his characters. He right. knows he knows about Cersei. He knows about Kyburn. He knows about the High Sparrow. And that's why it's so satisfying because it's so slow. It's so like she can't skip. And that's that's something that a certain kind of person will do to you. They know that you have to slow down. And if you start skipping stuff and like, oh, just cut to the point. I'm trying to I'm trying to change my light bulb, my head, my headlight in my car. Just started at three minutes like <laughs> let's do that part and he's like pointing the camera in a weird way right it's hard not to meander especially when it's something like this that's captured live but when you're an author and you're able to re-edit yourself over and over i feel like he's sort of able to wrangle his meandering it that's why i like something like that laura's comment is like well we have so to important to, we have to exactly that, yeah. exactly <laughs> <laughs> i like books okay you want to do yours yeah i'm ready for my own um, my own is just like a little moment. There's so many things, but we didn't talk about this. So that's usually what I try to make my own. Um, she's getting, or she, Cersei's getting some information from the Septas and they're kind of like on the way to talk to the High Sparrow. Um, and she's getting some information about like what's going on. It says, His grace is in good health, said Septa, Septa Scalera, and well protected day and night. The queen's with him always. I am the queen. She <laughs> swallowed smiled and said that's good to know yeah. Tommen loves her so i never believed those terrible th- those terrible things that were being said of her which then you know come <sighs> whatever stuff happens after when that the high but, sparrow talks yeah, to her. Yeah, yeah yeah about it but um i just liked that moment of like she's trying she's she's genuinely trying right now she like literally bites her tongue and and doesn't kind of bite back with her classic i am the queen so i liked that moment my own 
Loudly, she asked the gods to defend her and her innocence. Silently, she prayed for her accusers to suffer sudden, painful deaths. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, people like the High Sparrow, or at least, I, I can't speak for his whole existence, but but the way that he's being in this case by making her say certain things and not allowing her to skip to the point, it has to, the, and Cersei has internalized this well. She knows she has to, to do the act, go through the whole process. And that's what she's doing in your own. And that's what she's realizing that she has to do in mine. Mm-hmm. And like, it's like a philosophical, poignant, two part sentence that is expressing the truth for the life for people like her. It's she's not living her truth. And so there's two lives that she has to play. The one that's out loud and the one that is like it just painstakingly annoying to her because it's like I have to say this and say this and pretend and smile right. and I get ahead a little bit and I get a little bit of what I want. And then there's the life inside of her that's I fuck Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> She's so blunt. Also, like when uh, they were all going up or down the spiral staircase, I forget she was daydreaming about push accepting yeah, down, down the, the stairs. <laughs> I love her. Her inner monologue. Oh, I do too. I mean, she's so, like you said, she's ruthless. Ruthless in her observations yeah. as well. Yeah. Like, holy crap. Yeah, she holy is. Crap. We've got quite some time before we get back to her, though. So, really? Yeah, we've got, um, are we wrapping up? If you want to check along with our reading order, you can find that at afeastwithdragons.com. I mean, we're basically just, we've got one chapter left in Feast for Crows, but we're deep in dance at this point. Um, next week, very exciting. The Griffin Reborn. Oh, cool. So if you want to follow along, you can find that at a feast with dragons.com. You can send us an own to one of our social media accounts or to our email account. Our email is contact game of We're game of owns on social media. We have a Patreon page. If you want to support the show, I'm doing a solo reread and solo podcast. It's very good. Even I listen to it. Of a song <laughs> of ice and fire. It's very good. You should check that out. If you like the podcast, go to your podcast app or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if there's an ability to rank us on something, give us the highest rank possible. <laughs> <laughs> Leave us a little review. That would be really nice. Other people can find it. Yeah, they can find it. Do you have a reason for wanting other people to find it? Well, I mean, we're just like having a nice time. And so I think it's cool if other people want to talk about A Song of Rise and Fire with us. That's all. Yeah. And what are you up to these days? Just living that quarantine just working life? from home. Yeah. 24-7. It's still so, going, you know. I know. It's so wild to think about. We made that episode of the Shea a lifetime ago, mm-hmm. it feels like. I mean, I know it was only like a handful of, of episodes back from this perspective but i was a different person back sure then. yeah <laughs> we hope that you're all doing good and staying safe and yeah don't uh go out in the radiation that's not what it is it sort of seems that way it's like it's like hazmaty but <laughs> we've seen but people with hazmat it's true <laughs> but nothing you know what i mean there's nothing obvious to walk into there's no right. dangerous cloud of smoke or anything it's silent deadly mm-hmm. predator it's not like grayscale. I don't know. Which one would you rather have? Let's play that game. COVID or grayscale? Yeah. Oh, man. I don't know. <laughs> if, if you can stop the grayscale, that might be something. Then you, you can, can, like, intimidate people. Who, like, don't let me touch you. <laughs> but if you had COVID, you could do the same thing. You could. To people be like, people do do that. Dude, I don't even want to know about that. Oh, we them. can't get into this. It's messed up. <laughs> I don't even want to know about those people. Um, 
Yeah, so check out AfisaDragons.com, and we're going to keep the re-rolling. Thanks for listening, though. We appreciate it. We're going to, you know, talk about the winds of winter (laughs) when it happens. That's just like my... My North Star right now is the Winds of Winter. We've been talking a lot about the Winds of Winter behind behind the scenes BTS. Mm-hmm. So it's exciting. Thanks for listening and hope you catch us on the next one. Bye. You understand this? I do. Diet cream soda. Going in. It's good. Mmm. You know, Dr. Pepper is already good. Dr. Pepper already kind of feels like a treat, mm-hmm. partially because they color it so red mm-hmm. that it looks a little bit different than a soda. Diet Dr. Pepper kind of th- have always it's always felt a little creamy to me. Oh yeah, for sure. This plus the cream soda piece. Why do you think they waited so long? <laughs> um, I don't know. I feel like they always just try to hold out good stuff until later. Here's the thing about that, though, is because Diet Dr. Pepper already tastes kind of creamy, it's such a dominant flavor in that. When you, when you drink the full flavor, regular Dr. Pepper plus cream soda, it's more of a balance. This one is like full-on cream. We should test this next to cream soda. And also to the non-diet one, probably. Yeah.